The book of Acts, chapter number 2, verse number 36. If you found it, say praise the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the what is that word? The gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. I'm reminded of a Christmas five, six, seven, eight years ago. They all kind of run together at a certain point. I was walking with my youngest daughter, Kate, into a Target store up at Olive Branch. We were holding hands and she, we walked in and she said, Daddy, I want a thousand presents. I said, a thousand presents? What are you gonna do with a thousand presents? I said, you've got too much stuff as it is. I said, why don't we give some of your old toys to children who, don't ha who aren't going to get Christmas presents? I said, Daddy, everybody gets presents. I said, when I was growing up, we got one good gift. She looked at me and said, Daddy, if you'd been cuter, you'd have got more. And that probably explains a lot. Aren't you glad that with God you don't have to be better looking or cuter, more talented, more anything? But the Bible says you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I want to preach for a little while this morning on the birthday gift. The birthday gift. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me to preach, have your way, confirm your word with signs following. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for it, God. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise as you're being seated today. Pentecostals, by definition, are heavily centered on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, chapter number 2. Pentecost was an annual celebration, a Jewish holiday. 
That said, apostolic Pentecostals are not alone in pointing to Pentecost as the birth of the Christian church. As a matter of fact, in 2014, Pope Francis walked into the upper room on Mount Zion in Jerusalem while there on a visit. And he said these five simple yet true words. He said, hear the church was born. In a similar statement, Baptist theologian Bert B. Domini said, quote, to exaggerate the significance of Pentecost would be difficult indeed. Pentecost is necessary not only to the well-being of the Christian faith, but it is essential to the very existence of the faith, end quote. Likewise, Franciscan priest Peter Vaghi claimed that the upper room is, quote, the most important room in all of Christendom. Likewise, Methodist Bishop William R. Cannon called the Acts 2 day of Pentecost, quote, the birth of the church by the Holy Spirit. It was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the upper room that day that launched the church powerfully into the world. To understand a verse of Scripture, you've heard me say it often. I'll say it repeatedly, I'm sure, in the future. But to understand a particular verse of Scripture, you must also understand its context. Context is the section above and below. It is the setting in which that particular verse appears. To understand a single verse, you must understand what that whole passage is really talking about. The passage we read in Acts 2, verses 36 through 40, is part of Simon Peter's message on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. The Holy Ghost had been poured out upon the church, and the apostle Peter was preaching to the multitude that had gathered when the event had been noised abroad. It is particular that Simon Peter was the one preaching because it was the design of the Spirit of the Lord. We found in the book of Matthew chapter number 16 that Jesus had taken his disciples to a place that was known as the gates of hell. It was a place where there was much idol worship and paganism that took place at the opening of a cave where many felt that a demon god came in and out from that opening and Jesus had taken his disciples on a walk of several miles to stand in front of that place known as the gates of hell. And it was there when he turned to his disciples and he asked them a question. He said, who do men say that I am? Tell me what people say about me. And they said, well, they say that some say you're Elijah reincarnated and some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he looked at his own disciples and he said, who do you say that I am? You understand, it is important what other people say about Jesus, but when it comes down to it, it's most important what you say about him. Amen. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter then opened his mouth and he said, Thou art the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are the Savior. Thou art the Christ. And Jesus told him, he said, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. This isn't this didn't come by, by human reasoning and human knowledge. It was revealed by your Father 
in heaven. And then in verse 18 and 19 of Matthew 16, he said, And I also, and I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then he said, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Simon Peter, because you understand who I am, because you know I am the Savior, because you know I am the Messiah, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. In his, in his writing on this particular passage of Scripture, the famed writer James Strong he wrote, and I quote, the keeper of the keys has the power to open and shut. The keeper of the keys has the power to open and shut. And so when he gave Simon Peter the keys of the kingdom, what he gave him was the message that it would take to open the kingdom of heaven. And so Simon Peter, on the day of Pentecost, had been anointed by God to preach the message that would open the church age, the birthday of the church in Acts 2. I will tell you, I will tell you, and I'll reiterate it again, that the upper room in Acts 2 is the birthplace of the church. And the events of Acts chapter number 2 is the birthday of the church. Amen. And so when we understand that Simon Peter had the keys of the kingdom, then we understand that when the Bible says, then Peter said unto them, what he was doing was using the keys to open the door of the church. Amen. And so to understand Acts 2.38, we have to understand the context, the man who had the keys of the kingdom. In Acts 2 and 40, the Bible said, with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. So we must understand that the end goal of this sermon on the day of Pentecost by its context is the salvation of the soul. Amen. The reason for the words and the exhortation was that people might be saved. Amen. May I tell you the goal of this church service today is not religious entertainment. It is not the pressing of emotional buttons to get you to respond. What the goal is, is that somebody will find what they need to be saved in this place today. Amen. So then Acts 2.38 is all about salvation. Context is not only about what followed that passage, but if we look ahead... In Acts 2, 37, they were pricked in their heart. May I tell you that if you ever pray anything for me, I ask you to pray sincerely that when I preach the word, that it'll touch people's heart. Amen. I don't want to just preach fancy sermons. I don't want to just preach a bunch of history and a bunch of science. I don't want to just preach a bunch of theology, but I want a word from God that will prick the heart of the listener. Amen. That will bring conviction to the heart. I want the kind of preaching that will bring somebody to some kind of a response. Amen. Even if it's getting mad because it touches their soul and speaks to their heart, that's fine. But God, let your word prick somebody's heart today. 
God, I pray, let your word this morning move in somebody. Let it bring somebody to conviction. Let it bring somebody to repentance. Nothing but water in the sanctuary or foyer or prayer room. If somebody joined the video late, they have no idea what that's about. If somebody came late, they think I'm mad at someone right now. And so, men and brethren, what shall we do? You've heard me say it often. If you want the right answers, you have to ask the right questions. They said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? They singled out Simon Peter because he was the one preaching. But they acknowledged the rest of the apostles when they said, men and brethren, this message was not only Peter's message. It was the message of all the apostles. They stood together in solidarity, Peter and the rest of the apostles. And they asked what I call the critical question, what shall we do? The New Living Translation says, brethren, what should we do? The Bible in basic English says, what are we to do? Albert Barnes said, never was a more important question asked than this. The family Bible notes says this verse means what must we do to be saved? The fourfold gospel said what shall we do unquestionably means what shall we do to be saved? When they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What they were saying is what do I have to do to take the guilt of my sin off of my life? What do I have to do to remove the penalty for my sinful lifestyle and the, the penalty for the sins of my life? Tell me what I got to do so I won't be guilty anymore. Amen. There are not multiple answers to this question, my brothers and sisters. There is but one answer. There's not a Pentecostal answer and a Baptist answer and a Methodist answer and a Catholic answer and a Presbyterian answer and a Catholic answer. There is a Bible answer, and that's all that we want to know. It's not what does my priest say. What does my denomination say? It's not what does my preacher say. Not what does Pastor V say. But what does the Bible say? Tell me what I got to do, but don't tell me from some catechism. Tell me from the Bible. Don't tell me from some denomination. Tell me from the Bible. Don't regurgitate some man's idea to me. Tell me what the Bible has to say about it. Amen. May I tell you that the Holy Ghost is a promise. The Holy Ghost is a promise. When I say Holy Ghost, I'm using that term interchangeably like the Bible does between Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit. The word in the original language is the same. It is the word pneuma. It means the breath of God. When you read the word spirit in the New Testament, it is pneuma, the breath of God. When you read the word spirit in the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word ruha, which also means the breath of God. It goes all the way back to man's creation in the Garden of Eden when God breathed ruah, the Hebrew ruah. He breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living soul. It was the breath of God that put life inside of man but God told Adam and Eve the day you sin you'll die and so the day that they sinned that from that point forward the whole Bible is the story of trying to bring man back into fellowship with God and for that to happen he had to have the breath of God in him
Amen. And so it was as time goes on. Praise God. In the book of Joel, chapter number 2, the prophet of God, he looked ahead in time. And he said, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out of my spirit the word ruach, the breath of God upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. He said, I'm going to pour my spirit out on all flesh. Later on in Matthew 3 and 11, it was the voice of John the Baptist who prophesied, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Joel prophesied it. Matthew prophesied, or John the Baptist prophesied it. And then in John chapter number seven, Jesus stood up on the last day of the great feast. And here's what he said in verses 38 and 39. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Praise God. But this spake he of the spirit, the pneuma, the breath of God, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Amen. Jesus said the, that he would that he would out of his belly would flow rivers of living water that he would pour his spirit out john 14 26 the comforter which is the holy ghost whom the father will send in my name he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance he said the holy ghost is going to be sent acts 1 and 8 you shall receive power after that the holy ghost is come upon you amen Joel prophesied of the Holy Ghost. John the Baptist prophesied of the Holy Ghost. Jesus prophesied of the Holy Ghost. In John 3 and 8, Jesus told the gathered crowd, the wind bloweth where it listeth. He said, the wind blows wherever it wants. You hear the sound thereof, but you can't tell where it comes or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Amen. The analogy that is given compares the sound of wind to the sound of being born of the Spirit. And so then, praise God, in Acts chapter number 2, verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Praise God. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Jesus said there'd be a sound like wind and that filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Can somebody say praise the Lord? They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I will tell you that the promise was made and the promise was kept. The promise was made by the prophets and the promise was kept in the upper room. The promise was made by John the Baptist and the promise was kept in the upper room. The promise was made by Jesus and the promise was kept in the upper room. I'm glad that they had an upper room experience. I said I'm glad that they had an upper room experience. 
that baptism of the Holy Ghost set the church on fire. Amen. It set them on fire. If you look in the crucifixion of Christ, God help me to preach this morning. When you look at the crucifixion of Christ, what you find is a group of disciples that were scared to death and running for their life. Simon Peter huddling by a fire, curses to prove that he doesn't know who Jesus is because he's afraid they might connect them with him. And so he follows afar off, hiding in the shadows because he's afraid to be recognized as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You find the other apostles all hiding, all of them hiding, none of them at the cross except for one person, John the Revelator. He's now just a young man, but John is standing by Mary. All the other disciples have run and hidden because they're afraid to be recognized as a Christian. They're afraid they might also be put to death. And so they hide, refusing to be acknowledged as a Christian. But then you find these same timid men you find these same men who just a few days before were hiding in shadows and creeping along trying to not be recognized. Now you find them in an upper room and when the Holy Ghost came on them, praise God, when the Holy Ghost came on them, they didn't stay in an upper room. The Bible said they spilled out into the street. I'm gonna tell you when you really get the Holy Ghost, it'll put a boldness inside of you. Amen. When you get the genuine Holy Ghost, you're not ashamed. Who knows it? You're not afraid to be touched by it. I wish somebody get baptized one more time with the Holy Ghost right now. Oh, yes, Lord. God help me. Oh, I'm expecting a Holy Ghost outpouring in this place right now. You know, what I'm, expecting, uh, what I'm expecting is people to get the Holy Ghost for the first time in this place today. Being filled with the Spirit of the Lord, speaking with other tongues. Let me tell you, it's the greatest experience that you'll ever have. It will set your life on fire. It will fill you with such joy and peace and glory of God. Amen. There's people sitting in this very room that when they, that they have tried all kinds of denominationalism, they've tried all kinds of dead religion, but when they came and got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they said, it changed my life. I've never had anything like it. I've never felt anything like it. It's the real deal. It's the real thing. It really works and it's powerful. There's people in this place that their lives were an absolute mess until they got the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost got them. Oh, hallelujah. And so we find that there is an Italian, a man from Rome. His name was Cornelius. And in this, in this passage of Scripture, Cornelius, he is a man that loves God. He's a man that loves to worship God. And he's, he's, he's gracious and he's helpful. And he gives money to the poor. But being good is not good enough. Amen. It's good to be good. But being good doesn't save somebody. If being good saved somebody, you would have needed a cross and a Savior and blood and a Messiah. You would have needed, have needed a virgin birth and a resurrection. If being good was good enough, you could do it all by yourself. But nobody can do it all by themselves. That's why we needed a Savior named Jesus Christ. 
But the Bible said that there was a man by the name of, uh, a man from Caesarea Philippi. His name was Cornelius. He was a member of the Italian band. And he was praying. And it was about the, it was about the ninth hour he began to pray. And while he was praying, the Lord gave him a vision and said, he said, send for one Simon Peter. He's dwelling in Joppa with a man named Simon the Tanner. And he'll tell you what you need to do to be saved. And so he sends for Simon Peter. And Simon Peter comes to the house of Cornelius and he preaches the word of God to Cornelius and to Cornelius' family and all those that are associated with his house. Amen. And the Bible said that Simon Peter, when he went from, from Jerusalem to Cornelius, that he took with him some members of the church. At that point, the only ones that had ever been saved had been Jewish people who had been converted to Christianity. They had been raised as Jews, but had accepted Christ and been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. Many of them thought that the only people that could be saved were Jews. That Christianity was just a religion for Jewish people. And that the Jewish people had to get baptized and get the Holy Ghost. And that there was no one else that could be. But now they're faced with a problem. Because Cornelius is not a Jew. He's a Roman. He's an Italian. And now Simon Peter is going to preach to this man. And he takes with him a group of believers from the Jerusalem church. The Bible calls them the circumcision because they were so they were so based on their Old Testament faith that they were known by the initiation rite, the rite of circumcision. And so the circumcision, the Jewish people went with Simon Peter. And Simon Peter begins to preach to these to these Gentile people who had no belief, no true biblical belief in God. And the Bible said while Peter yet spake these words. Hallelujah. While he was preaching, can I just stop right here and can I just tell somebody, when you get hungry for God, you don't have to wait for an altar call. You don't have to wait for a sermon to end. When it's your time, it's your time. When it's your moment, it's your moment. When God speaks to you, you don't have to wait. Uh, the most important thing we got to do in this church is let somebody find Jesus. The rest of this message isn't the important part. You finding God today is the most important part. While Peter yet spake these words. God, Bishop Wilson, I remember back in the, in the mid to late 90s when I was youth pastor. I remember one night you were preaching, man. You were shucking the corn. Amen. For you young folks, all, the, all you know about corn is that it comes in a can or in a freezer bag. Shucking the corn means he was really preaching. That's what he was doing. He was preaching red hot on fire. And while preaching, I watched a man come from about the middle of that middle aisle, down the aisle, and come to this altar and put his face. And in just a few seconds, he opened his mouth and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. It's still real and it still happens. And it's still awesome and it's still great. And today can be your day. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Amen. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could quit worrying about lunch and we could quit, quit worrying about our afternoon nap and quit worrying about who's winning the ball game and quit worrying about what all we got to do when we get home and what we got to do tomorrow and we could just get in the flow of the Holy Ghost and while I'm preaching this word, everybody in this place got a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
I don't want to just be Pentecostal because we say we're Pentecostal. And I don't want to just be apostolic because we say we're apostolic. I want to see what happened in the Bible. Do it again, God. Do it again, God. Do it again. Hey, I can't make you talk. You have to raise your hands and open your mouth to do it. Hallelujah. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Amen. Look at verse 45, Acts 10, 45. And they of the circumcision, those Jewish people, didn't believe anybody else could be saved. Didn't believe anyone else could qualify. Anybody know somebody you don't think can be saved? I know somebody that thinks they can't be saved, but I just made them a goal. They of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift. Everybody say the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now you got to understand the context. You got to understand the circumcision, the Jewish people. They didn't believe that the Gentiles believed that they deserved anything. They called them dogs. That's what they called them. There was a racial hatred between Gentiles and Jews and the Jews would look at the Gentiles and call them dogs. As a matter of fact, when a Gentile lady came to Jesus and she said, my daughter, she was a Syrophoenician. She said, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. And Jesus said, I'm not sent to the dogs, but to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus was making a point to the disciples. This is a person that you don't think is worth anything. This is a person that you think has no value. This is a person that you think is less than you are, not as good as you are. But Jesus ended up touching her daughter and her daughter was delivered delivered from the devil from that very hour. Let me tell you something. We don't have the right to decide who gets it and who don't and who to reach for and who not to reach for. Amen. When God sends them through those doors, it's their day and it's their moment and it's their time and it's their church. Glory to God. I wish somebody would shout right now. God, send the drug addict. We love them. Send the alcoholic. We love them. Send the broken, the wounded, the hurting, the dirty. We love them. God, send them all here. This is not just for the circumcision. This is for everybody. If you don't like what I'm preaching right now, you need to understand that the same people in this passage, the circumcision would not have let you get the Holy Ghost. They would not have let you in their house. They would not have let you in their church. You got to understand that the people I'm talking about would not have ever let you darken the door of their tabernacle. They never would have let you worship their God. Aren't you glad they were wrong and God was right? Because otherwise you wouldn't be here. You can't judge people by their past. You can't judge people by what they've done. You can't judge people by what's been going on. you got to look at them through the eyes of God. God knows if they ever get the Holy Ghost, they'll turn their world upside down. There's people standing on their feet right now that if you would have looked at them two, three, four, five, ten years ago, you'd have said there's no way they'll ever amount to anything. But now they're bringing people to be baptized. They're being used by God. Hey, I'm telling you, don't judge somebody by what they used to be. It's real, it's real, it's real, it's real. It's a life-changing, soul-saving gift. They of the circumcision. 
God surprised us again. Oh, God. Woo! They of the circumcision which believed were astonished. God astonished somebody again. You know what I'd like to see is an astonishing revival. I'd like to see the kind of revival that when we see who prays through, we're going to walk out with our mouth open and our eyes as big as saucers because we never really believed they'd come. We never really believed God would do it. We never really believed they'd get hungry for God. But we're going to walk, but we're going to walk out of here astonished. My God, I feel it. My God, I feel it right now. I feel that same power in this house. God, surprise us one more time with an earth-shaking revival. Surprise us one more time by the marriages you put back together, by the souls you deliver, by the people you put back in their right mind. Show us, God. Astonish us one more time. God, I wish somebody would help me pray for an astonishing revival. The kind of revival that the whole world just shakes their head and says, I never thought I'd see it. They were astonished. They were astonished. We, we were at the jail yesterday baptizing, getting ready to baptize a young man. We baptized three ladies, and we were getting ready to baptize two men. And, uh, and, and we were talking to one of the guys, and the guys, he was talking, and he, he said, look, he said, if you could do me a favor. He said, I, I, think, he, I think the terms, you can help me, Brother Craig. I, he, I think he said, my girl. Is that what he called her, my girl? He said, my girl's in the, in the lady's side. He said, if, if you could try, he said, maybe, maybe you could baptize her too today. Maybe you could talk to her. And I said, what's her name? And he told me her name. I said, we just baptized her in Jesus' name just a few minutes ago. She's still wet. I'm going to tell you, when God has a plan for somebody, we better get out of the way and let God work. God surprised me. Would anybody like to be surprised in these next few weeks at the miracles that God works? They of the circumcision which believed were astonished. Hey, don't, don't, don't really blame them. They had been raised to believe that God couldn't do it. Don't really blame them. They had been taught their whole life that it couldn't happen. Don't blame them. They had been taught their whole life that Gentiles were no good and there was no hope for them. So don't blame them. They had been raised to believe that. Amen. But when they saw what God had done, they were surprised. They were astonished. Amen. Look, I'm not going to blame some folks here today. If you don't really believe that your kinfolk can get the, ba- the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you've had to deal with their addiction. You've had to deal with their lies. You've had to deal with their failure. you had to deal with all that. And you're sitting here thinking it's just enough. But I'm going to tell you, when God gets a hold of them, it's going to turn them upside down. Amen. I know somebody's sitting here and thinking, I know that might work for them. But I don't know if it's going to work for Johnny. I don't know if it's going to work for Susie. I don't know if it's going to work for Karen. I don't know if it's going to work. I'm going to tell you it'll work for anybody that'll get full of the Holy Ghost. God is not a respecter of persons. God doesn't love my family more than he loves your family. God doesn't love their family more than he loves your family. Everybody in this place is a candidate for a Holy Ghost revival. You ought to start believing it right now. You ought to get a step ahead of all those Jews and begin believing it before you see it. You see, they believed it when they saw it. God help me. There's no way I'm getting through all this. 
They believed it when they saw it. But Jesus said, you're blessed when you believe it because you see it. He said, but you're more blessed when you can believe it before you see it. I wonder if there's anybody here that can believe it now before you see it. That maybe your praise would be a down payment on the Spirit of the Lord reaching out and touching your daughter's heart wherever she's at. Or your boy's heart wherever he's at. I wonder if your praise right now could be a down payment on your mama getting feeling the Holy Ghost wherever she is right now. It's blessed to believe it when you see it, but you're more blessed when you can believe it before you see it. So God, I believe, I believe, I believe you're sending them from the north, the south, the east, and the west. The red, the yellow, the black, and white, they're all precious in your sight. God, send them from the hood, send them from the crack house, send them from the rehab, send them from the jail room, send them from the courtroom, send them from the good neighbor, send them from everywhere, God. Send them from the college campuses, from the high school campuses. Send them from everywhere, God. From the factories, from the stores, from the market. Send them from everywhere, God. I'm going to believe it before I see it. God, I'm going to shout right now. I'm going to shout before I see it. I'm going to shout for somebody being delivered before they ever want to quit. Before they even know they're tired of it. Glory, 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 glory. Oh, yes, Lord. It's real, it's real, it's real. It's this Pentecostal blessing, and I know, I know it's the birthday of the church, and God wants to give somebody a birthday gift. It's the gift of the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Somebody ought to throw their hands up right now, and you ought to say, God, I want everything you have for me. God, I don't know really what he's talking about, but I feel something right now, and I'm hungry for it. God, I don't really understand all of it, but I want it. It's a gift. It's a gift. God doesn't want to make you suffer for it. He wants to give it to you. Oh, come on. All over this place, you ought to be seeking after God. There's an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It's just now getting started. It's starting to wave. It's starting like waves to go through this place. Oh, yes. I remember preaching in Ethiopia in 1995. There's about 50,000 people gathered around. And I watched as the Holy Ghost began to fall like a wave from the left to the right and the front to the back as people began to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I believe it can happen in this room right now. I believe there can be a wave of the Spirit that begins to move. Hallelujah. Anybody hungry for a fresh anointing from heaven? Anybody hungry for a life change? My God in heaven. Oh, yes. That's right. Go ahead. You don't need me. All you need is the Holy Ghost. Mm. 
You ought to reach over and pray with somebody right now. You ought to agree with somebody for the gift of God to flow in this place. It's the gift of the Holy Ghost. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to struggle for it. You don't have to wrestle God for it. All you got to do is receive it. It's the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a gift. It's a gift. He wants you to have it. He wants your babies to have it. He wants your husband to have it. He wants your daughter to have it. He wants your children. He wants your boy to have it. He wants it in your family. He wants it in your family tree. He wants your parents to get it. He wants everybody in this place to get it. Everybody in this house ought to throw their hands up to heaven and say, God, I want your gift. God, I trust you. You're a good God and you give good gifts and I want it. You don't have to have somebody lay hands on you. You don't have to have somebody shake you right where you are. You can throw your hands to heaven and you can let the Holy Ghost come down on you with a fresh anointing from heaven. Oh God, pour it out in Jesus' name. Hey, look, if you're sitting in your seat, you don't know how to get it, you ought to grab somebody. You ought to come to this altar and say, look, I don't have a clue what he's talking about, but I want it. You ought to make your way up here and get a fresh baptism of the fire of the Holy Ghost. It'll dry out the alcoholic. It'll clean up the drug addict. It'll fix a broken marriage. It'll put relationships back together. It'll give you peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It'll clean your life up. It'll help you do right. It'll help you live right. It'll make you ready for the rapture. It'll fill you with joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's the gift of the Holy Ghost. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I was preaching in a Middle Eastern country. And while I was preaching, there's a particular sect of Islam that is very difficult. They're all difficult, difficult to convert to Christianity, but there's one particular sect that is extremely difficult. And while I was preaching in the service, I was preaching about the goodness and the power and the grace of God and the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I was preaching about the Holy Ghost. And I was preaching, I might have been preaching along this same line that the Holy Ghost is a gift and God wants you to have it. And I watched while we were trying to do altar service and I don't understand, I, I speak about maybe 50 words in Arabic at the most and I don't understand a whole lot about, about what was going on. But I do know that in the, in, it, while, while I ended the message and people came to the altar, there were some children, some, some Syrian refugees, that, little kids that go to their school and they were in the altar and two of them were filled with the Holy Ghost that week, praise God. And I watched as a, that's right. I watched as a young lady in her 20s came and began to talk to somebody in the church. And before long, the, the baptistry is, is on the platform. And this young lady was, in the, was, was getting baptized. And, and she came up, and they put her in the water. She didn't know anything about being Pentecostal or Christian. She didn't know anything about it at all. She had come out of a, out of a very strict Islamic background. She didn't, know, she didn't know anything about what we learn in Sunday school at all. She had no clue, but what she knew was she felt something. 
that was unlike anything she had ever felt in her entire life. And she knew that whatever it was, she wanted it. And so she got baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And when that young lady's head come up out of the water, we didn't have to tell her to raise her hands. She threw those hands up into heaven and she threw that head back and God gloriously filled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you, you don't have to have all the hermeneutics of it. You don't have to have all the homiletics of it. You don't have to have all the apologetics of it. But when you feel God begin to touch, you just start praising him and worshiping him and don't worry about anybody else. God, I love you. God, I need you. God, I praise you. God, I worship you. Oh, God. And I'm going to tell you that God will indeed visit anybody that's hungry for him. Stand with me this morning. It's real. It's real. Old song written by an old uneducated preacher man named Nimrod Workman. It's real. It's real. It's that Pentecostal blessing, and I know, I know it's real. I found it to be real. Ha. Woo, glory to God. Your argument came too late for my experience because I've already got it and I experienced it. And I know, I know it's real. You can tell me it's not, but I already got it. You can tell me it can't clean up the drug addict, but look around here. You can tell me it can't put people's families back together, but look around here. You can tell me it's not peace in the storm. It's not comfort in the trial. You can tell me it won't touch you, but I got witnesses that it's real. It's real. I know it's real. Hey, come on, Holy Ghost, do it one more time. Come on, Holy Ghost. Man, I'd like somebody today to get baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of their sins. I'd like to see somebody today get baptized with the Holy Ghost in fire. The promise of the Holy Ghost. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. Oh, God, you give good gifts. God, you give good gifts. God, you give good gifts because you're a good God. I wonder if anybody's found what I've preached today to be the truth. Has anybody found what I'm talking about to be real? It's more than dead, dry denominationalism. It's more than catechism. It's more than a rosary. It's more than going through the motions. It's more than cathedrals and temples. It's more than just sitting there dead and dry and empty and hungry. It's a real genuine outpouring of the Holy Ghost. God, let it happen in this sanctuary right now. God, let it happen in this place right now. Let it happen for somebody watching online right now to feel the power of the Holy Ghost. Can you help me pray for a move of the Holy Ghost right now? Let me tell you, there's somebody in this place 
You've been wondering if there's anything to Christianity because every taste you've had of it has left you hungry and thirsty for more. And you love God, but you know there's got to be more than just being empty all the time. You love God and you want to be saved, but there's got to be more. I'm telling you, you came to the right place today, my friend. You came to the right place today because there is indeed more. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. It'll put a spring in your step and a song in your heart. It'll put peace in your heart and rest in your mind. It's the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven and it is the gift of God. Why don't you reach your hands to heaven and just say, God, I'm reaching for my gift today. God, I'm reaching for the gift of the Holy Ghost. Everybody ought to get a fresh baptism. Every apostolic Pentecostal ought to have your hands to heaven right now, saying, God, baptize me one more time with the Holy Ghost. What would happen if everybody from the left to the right and the front to the back got a fresh anointing of the Holy Ghost? Why don't you open your mouth and begin to worship God and let the Holy Ghost do it right now? Why don't you all go ahead and let it flow out of you like a river of living water? Amen. Without just looking around and worrying about what somebody else thinks. Why don't you just open your mouth and say, God, baptize me with the fresh gift of the Holy Ghost. God, let it flow in my life. Come on, that's right. Talk to God right now. Let it flow in my life. Why don't you open your mouth? Why don't you close your eyes and lift your hands and say, God, let it flow in my spirit. Let it flow in my soul. Let it baptize me fresh. Why don't you worship God? Let the fire of the Holy Ghost rest on you. It's flowing, it's flowing like a fountain. 
Hallelujah. You have been baptized this morning in the mighty name of Jesus, the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Today would be a great time to do it. We have robes back there. We have ministers that are willing and able to baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get all those sins washed away. If you haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost, He's still pouring it out. Hallelujah. What a message this morning. Can we give God praise? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I understand we have visitors all the way from Michigan here this morning. We are so glad to have you. And all of those that have been online, we're, we're thankful that you were here to listen and, and to uh, be a part of us this morning. Let's remember immediately after service, we have the meeting for anybody that has kids of school age. We want to start Bethlehem Christian School back up or at least attempt to see how many are willing to bring their kids back. So immediately after, take about 10 or 15 minutes, come and uh, God's got great things in store. Let's remember tonight's service, 630. Come expecting great things. In the mighty name of Jesus, you're dismissed. In the name of the Lord.